0: morning, everybody. Today, we are are, are looking at Father Abraham. So if you open your Bibles to, uh, pardon me, Galatians chapter 3, we're going to just be looking at four verses today. Hopefully, hopefully, it'll be an abbreviated message so we can get to the time of loving and blessing uh, Brian and Wendy this morning. So I'm going to read the passage, verses 6 through 9, then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive right in this morning, okay? Galatians 3, verse 6 says, Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you once again for this day. Thank you for an opportunity to come here this morning and to to be together as a family. Uh, Lord, we are yours. We belong to you. Those who have placed our faith and trust in you, we are so grateful to be part of your family, your blood-bought family, and we thank you so much for that. We thank you today that we get to see see the story of a man who, who we're declared to be sons of because we have received Jesus by faith as well. So, Lord, we thank you for the story. We thank you for Paul's recollection of it. At this point in time, in his letter to the Galatian church, what what an amazing movement of the Holy Spirit it is that Paul would be prompted to stop what he was saying and and to go back to Father Abraham. So, Father, I pray today that we would see that and we would be blessed by that. Father, also, I thank you for the opportunity to come here and to sing praises to you and to sing with the kids and to see the joy and the fun that we have together as a family. So, Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for this time together in your word. And we pray you would bless us today as we love and bless and send those uh, that we need to send today. And so, Lord, we pray for your spirit to be with us to illuminate our minds and our hearts. In Jesus' worthy name, amen. So some of you will remember last week uh, I gave you a little bit of an illustration uh, about a rearview mirror. And, and the idea was that, uh, you know, you're in a car and whatever, you're driving along. But the real idea, the, the crux of that, and we talked about it, I think many of you did in small group, was the idea that Paul was basically, he was basically teaching that in everything, no matter what it is, it's, it's about Christ crucified. It doesn't matter where you read in the epistles, the letters, Paul's always going, listen, listen, all the rest of it, all the, the, the apologetics, the Sermon on the Mount, all those things are great. Preach Christ crucified. This is how people come to faith. So the idea was is that for us to be able to be people who live by faith today, who live by faith today in this world where we have suffering, where we have difficulties and challenges, it's a good idea whenever we get to that point that we we remember that we've got a rearview mirror. And what we need to do is look into that rearview mirror and see the cross, see the cross of Christ. Remind ourselves of what he did on that day, in that place, for you and me. It changes things. It changes our perspective dramatically. But let's not forget this as well. Let's just push that metaphor, that illustration, a little bit further. We're on the road. we got our hands on the wheel. We're driving, and we've got, we've got in front of us, what have we got? We've got a destination. And those of us who are in Christ, we know that we have daily destinations that we're going to, but ultimately, we have a destination. And that destination is Heaven. Is it not? It's heaven, where we get to be with Jesus Christ. But the other beauty is, is that right now, right now, not necessarily in the passenger seat beside us, as some New Country songs like to present to us, you know. And when we, when we run into trouble, it's like, Jesus, take the wheel. And I'm sure Jesus would probably go, no, it's okay, it's in your hands, I'm with you. Keep driving. But let's remember that we're in the present. We're in the present. So we've got our rearview mirror to see the cross of Christ behind us. And we have our salvation in that. But we also have the future ahead of us, this destination which is glorious, which is heaven. And we also have him with us right now. No matter what's going on, he is with us in this journey. It's an amazing picture. And that is the picture of the Bible. I want you to see today in these four verses, it's remarkable what Paul does in taking us back in time a little bit, is to show us that the gospel, the gospel was preached from the beginning not just after Jesus died on the cross and rose again. It's been preached from the very beginning, and it is being preached today, and it needs to be preached today to ourselves, and it will be preached, quite frankly, for eternity because it is the gospel that has saved us. So let's turn today to this text to see the Apostle Paul, to see the very Scripture himself. Note that point so vividly and clearly for us to this point. So our outline for today is titled Faith and Blessings for All, simple outline. First of all, we're going to look at faith for all, and second of all, blessings for all. So look at the first two verses one more time. It says this, just as Abram believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So like I said to you last week, if you look in your Bibles, most Bibles will have a little dash after the end of verse 5, and that dash is there primarily, one of the reasons why it's there is because commentators want us to understand that the Apostle Paul has a change of thought. Now, he's been preaching primarily at this point in time um, to, to the Galatian readers who are there, to the Gentile Galatian believers, and he's also, of course, been preaching sideline to those who have bewitched him, right? Them, of course, right? Which is the Judaizers, who've been preaching that faith in Christ alone for salvation was not enough. And so they've been disturbing the church, and it's, it's astonished, Paul. It's made him very angry with them, disappointed with the Galatian Gentile believers, that they've actually been buying into this and that they actually need works of the law including circumcision, to be completed. Basically, what these guys were teaching is, you need to become Jews first before you can become full-on and amazing Christians. And so Paul's had this, this change of thought. Right in the middle, there's, there's this dash. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, he's going back into Genesis. He's talking about Father Abraham. And I, I'm really encouraged by this thing. I, I mean, when I see stuff like this, when you read this in Scripture, and I hope you see it, is that this is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And as he's been writing to those Galatian believers who he loves, these Gentiles, these churches that he's planted, the Holy Spirit intercepts him at that point and says, I know a really good way for you to prove them wrong once and for all. Talk about Father Abraham. But, but, the, but the other beauty of it is it's, it's not just that. It's not just that. Paul, of course, wants to see the Galatian Gentile believers who were not raised with the story of Father Abraham, who don't have this ethnicity and cultural background, and quite frankly, baggage in some ways. But he also wants Paul to have a little bit of a heart for these Judaizers, because he's been kind of calling them out. And so it's a beautiful thing to see here that Paul is, is both preaching and writing to these Galatian believers, but he's also turning his attention to the Judaizers and saying, guys... Let me speak to you for a second. Let me make this point clearly to you. So that's something I I think that some of us here today, we need to think about, right? We need to think about that. We need to hear this as well. I think some of us think that the objective with unbelievers, with skeptics, with hardcore atheists, is to win an argument, right? Isn't that the the idea? Come on, anyone have tried that? It's about winning the argument, right? Well, it's about being right. Well, it's not, actually. It's not really about that. It's about the gospel. Always it's about the gospel. And we've been talking about this in a small group, and I know it's, it's a struggle a little bit to keep, keep bringing it up, saying, when was the last time you, you shared Christ crucified with people? You've actually shared with something, someone like, hey, listen, you know, Jesus died on the cross for your sins, you know, which implies you're a sinner. I mean, when was the last time we did that? Well, we don't usually do that. But that's actually what they need most. And that's what I think the Holy Spirit wants to point us to here, and that is is that we need to give them the gospel. Apologetics and all the rest of these things are great. They're important. Paul used it one time at Mars Hill, you know, for about three years, quite frankly, with a very intellectual crowd there. But the reality is, give them the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Just tell them, Jesus died for you, by the way. Have you heard the story? Let me give you some of the details. It wasn't pretty. He had to die for you. Why? Well, we're sinners. I'm a sinner. Let me tell you how I came about to that perspective. And then at this point, you know what? We realize it's not about us. It's not about us winning arguments. It's about the Holy Spirit cutting people to the heart, opening their eyes, and calling them to Jesus. Amen? It's beautiful because it's actually not about what we do. Hi, I feel really comforted by that. I don't know about you guys. You're all looking at me kind of stunned here. But isn't that the point? Give them the gospel. And that's what's happening. So I just love this because for me anyway, and mark me down as crazy, but I love that the Apostle Paul doesn't want to win an argument here. It's not about winning an argument. So let's pay attention to this. He, He looks at this. We need to go into this deeply just to see it for a little bit today. And what he wants to do, I think, here is not only seal the deal as far as the point he's been making up this point in time, but he wants to win them. He wants to win them over. And so it's kind of like this. I think if you were, if we had the opportunity to go back in that day, I wish I could have been a fly on the wall, honestly, when this letter and this part arrived on that day. Because imagine, you're going to have the Galatian believers there going, yeah, Paul's been making a pretty good case. Why are you guys preaching this stuff to us? We think you're wrong. And then all of a sudden this, right? And these Judaizers are there. They're hearing it being read, and they're like, what's he bringing up Father Abraham for? Because what they would have heard is something like this. Hey, guys, guess what? Before Abraham was a Jew like you, he was a Christian. Boom. Mic drop. I mean, seriously. It's a little bit. I mean, you and I, we hear this. We go, we hear the verses, you know, Sunday school, flannel graph. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Got it? Let's move on. Wait, No. In that day when they heard this, it would have been, what? What are you saying? Abraham was a, by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, believer, Christian, counted righteous before he became a Jew? Uh Uh-huh. Let's have a look. Let's look at the story just a little bit. If you have your Bibles with you, flip back to Genesis chapter 12, first book of the Bible, 12th chapter. Read with me. I want to show you what goes on here because it's so important to today's text. This is Moses' writing, but just listen to the words. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, his name was Abram before he became Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will will curse. Hmm. We'll pick that up next week, that part. And in you, look at this, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So here's what's just happened up until this point in time. Uh, Abraham, who was called Abram at this point, hears God speak to him. Now, at this point, we need to understand, Abram's a pagan. He's a pagan. He's not a Jew. But he's he's been called by God to become the father and the beginning of the Jewish people. You can read more about him in chapter 11. There's only a little bit in chapter 11. You can read about his, about his father, whose, whose name, his name is Terah, and his family lineage in chapter 11. Um, and then this one day, God chooses him and speaks to him. And, and what's interesting is from the get-go, God simply says this, Abraham, take your wife, take your family, take your stuff, and go. <laughs> just, just leave now. Just start walking. Leave town now. Nothing else. But note the highlighted text that I've been showing you along. Abra- Abraham only has to do one thing. Go. It's the only thing that he has to do. In every other case, it's God saying, I will, I will, I will. So, so what does Abram do? Well, of course, he does what any sane human being would do, what you or I would do, is the first thing he does is he, he looks up and he goes, what are you talking about? Where do you want me to go? And Why? You know the story, right? He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. That's what I would do. Wouldn't you do that? Abram doesn't do that. It says in verse 4 so Abram went. (laughs) He he just went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. That's a problem. Abram was 75, look at this, 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So he just goes. He just goes. (laughs) He's not talked to God before, not heard of him, not really, I mean, maybe a little bit of background, but other yeah, was this God, Adam and Eve, I don't know, maybe it's been passed down, it's, you know, it's about a thousand years since Noah, so you, you just, you know, like what he knows, we don't know, but he just goes, no questions asked, he packs up and he goes, now no, like it says here, he's 75 years old, he's old, right, he's old, I am so young, he is old, uh, anyways, no, sorry, shouldn't have mentioned that age here, What we see, and the Jewish people in Galatia would have known this, was that Abraham was obedient to God's call from the get-go. Right away, no questions asked. Yes, go. Hey, you guys, come with me. Lot, I'm not so sure, but he takes them, right? And off they go. So from this first contact with the Lord, with God, Abraham demonstrates trust in God. He demonstrates that he has faith, or trust at least, at this point in God, but for what what 's he trusting what 's he, he putting his faith in? Well, all, a number of things really, when you see the beginning of the text here um, he 's been given several promises he 's been told there 's going to be a lot of land like, in those days, a lot of land was a big deal. a lot of land meant, meant wealth, it meant a lot of animals, it, let, it meant a lot of vegetation. it was good. Um, a nation in fact, wow, promised that he would be the father of a nation and that he would be blessed, blessed, blessed. But most notably notably to him and all of that at 75 years of age, because it says at the end of chapter 11 that Sarai, who becomes Sarah, was barren, it tells him, wait a sec, I'm going to have a son. I'm going to have a son. So he's got these promises. Now we fast forward 15 years. There's been much traveling. There's been a (laughs) lot. There's been some challenges, to say the least along the way, and now we have another conversation. God tells Abraham, who's now a little bit fearful because it looks like some people want to kill him and his family and everybody else, not to fear that he will be his shield and again promises great things. But Abraham's beginning to wonder. Right? He says, look, I trusted you. I got up. I just went without any directions or any destination in mind. I, I did what you asked. And so he says this. He asks this, really, in chapter 15, verses 2 and 3, says, O Lord God, what will you give me for I continue childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir? God immediately replies in the fourth verse and says, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son, shall be your heir and what is recorded next brings us back to today's verse in Galatians and a great scene indeed it's a beautiful and amazing scene it says in verse 5 and he brought him outside and God said Abraham look up look up to where? to heaven to the heavens and do you see the stars? can you number them? Are you able to even? Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord. And he counted it to him, look at this word, it's very important, as righteousness. So this really proves Paul's key point, doesn't it? Abraham is now at the age of 95. It's actually 20 years later at this point. And 90 for Sarah. <laughs> okay, this is getting a little dicey, isn't it? God's making promises. They're 95 and 90 years of age. Abram believes God. Believes what? He believes, he, and he has faith, the faith that God will give him through Sarah an heir, a son. Okay, so there's a number of really miraculous things going on here that Abram is believing in, is it not? I mean, first of all, he's believing, really, I mean, mostly, he's believing that, listen, their dead bodies, as good as dead sexually, are going to bear a child? That's faith. That's a lot of faith, is it not? I think most of you would probably know the rest of the story. You know how it goes. It's actually four more years. Abram is Abraham is 99 years of age. Sarah is 95. And God has given them a child. He now grows up and it's even longer than that and he's maybe 10, 11 years of age. And God has one more amazing test for Abram, for Abraham. And we get to Genesis chapter 22 and we read in verse 2, Or God gives Abram this really amazing and final test. He says, Abram, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. It's it's like back to the beginning. It's like 30 years ago. It's like, okay, go and by the way, on the way, I'll let you know where we're going. It's, does that feel like that for you at any time in life here today? That you have faith in God, you place your faith in God, and yet you don't know where you're going tomorrow, you don't know where you're going in five years, and yet some of it, you know, we make plans, right? And yet God is oftentimes simply saying to us, just get in your car and drive. <laughs> get up every morning and go to work. And go, go, and, and I'll show you. I'll lead you. I'll guide you. I'll tell you where you need to be, where you need to stay, where you need to go. And when you know, when you know it's God doing that, you're going to go. You have to. There's really no choice. So let me ask you this. In this verse, have you read it before? Have you seen it read before? Have you heard it read before? Are you reading it for the first time today? And let me ask you, do you see, hear anything in this that reminds you of anything? Of anyone? Of anyone? I remember many, many years ago when, God, throughout my Christian life, God keeps light bulbs, you know, at different times. I remember the first time when, just before I became a believer. I go to a church in Toronto, I'm 23 years of age, someone's preaching the gospel the first time. It was the story of the soils. And, and before Jesus gets the part where he tells his disciples what the translation or what it means is, I'm like, I got it. <laughs> I was like, whoa, like, how do I know that? I mean, I was raised Catholic, never opened my Bible. How do I know this? It was amazing. It was like a light bulb going off. And I truly also remember the first time I heard this passage and I saw what was going on here. I didn't put all of the accounted to him as righteousness and stuff like that together, but I thought, this is Jesus. This is a picture of my only begotten son in whom I love. It's the same story, isn't it? It's a picture of the gospel being portrayed in the life of man that actually happened. So what does Abraham do? Well, he does exactly what God asks of him. I mean, really? Come on. What God's asking you here is, what he's asking him is unreal. But then when you look at Abraham and, and what he does is incredible. As they get there, he says to those men who've helped them carry everything to the point where they need to leave them at the base and head off to the mountain. He says to the men these words in Genesis 22, five. He says, then Abraham said to his young men. Look what it says. Stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again again to you. Do you see it? Do you see the faith? R- right there in the words are, I'm going to go with the boy up to the top of the mountain, even though I've been told by God that I'm to go up, the, up there and drive a, a dagger through his heart while he's on this altar and sacrifice him. But by the way, I know we're coming back. Man. Man, that's amazing faith. And they will come again. Well, listen, the, the cool thing about the story is there's, there's always humor at some point. Uh, Abraham, I mean, Isaac is absolutely no dummy. As they head up the hill, he, he kind of looks at things and what his father's got with him. He doesn't know what his father's been told to do. And we read this, fo- this verse. It says, um, uh, Behold, Father, uh, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering, Dad? Okay, that's not in the ESV or any of your translations, the word dad there, I put it in. But can you just imagine? It's like, what are we going to do? Are you you all right? What's going on here? See the faith of Isaac too, though, here. He's his son. He's been hearing Dad talk about the stories of God and what God has told them to do and where they're going. And and yet he's like, hmm. How's this going to work out? And his father, Abram, immediately replies to him and says, again with faith, faith, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Wow. And he did. If you know the story. Just as Abram was about to plunge the knife, the scripture tells us, into Isaac's chest, the angel, the angel of the Lord, stopped him saying these words. appeared. Can you imagine? Instead of my only begotten son, instead of you or me, a substitute appeared. His name is Jesus. It's an incredible story. So what God's word has just shown us is actually quite startling, isn't it? God's plan to save all of us has been at work since the very beginning, at least since the days of Abraham, right? Paul's case is almost sealed, I think, isn't it? It's almost sealed with these guys. They'd be hearing this going, yeah, okay, so what's your point? Abraham's story demonstrates, Paul wants them to know clearly, that he, listen, he wasn't saved by his obedience plus works, but by his faith and obedience and trust in God alone. He had faith in the one who was to come. Somehow, he was putting the picture together. Somehow, when I was a young Christian, I looked at that ram in the thicket and substitute and substitutionary atonement, a big theological idea came to my mind and went, I get it from 4,000 years ago. God has been preaching this gospel for a long time. He had faith in the one who was to come, and by his faith and the promise that was given to him, he was given salvation by God right then and there. So now here's the key for this whole point that Paul's trying to make. To those Judaizers who were present, and trust me, they would have heard this, Abraham becomes a Christian 430 years before the law is even given. Can you imagine a few of them sitting there going, hmm, okay, okay probably changes things. You would hope they would have put the pieces together. The law couldn't save him because it hadn't even been given. The solution was given before the problem was even shown to man. God saved Abraham not by the law, but by faith alone in a grace that was to come alone in Christ Jesus. He saw it. He could see it. The light bulbs had gone off for him. He didn't know his name, but he knew that there would be a Messiah, a substitute that would come for all of us. He just knew it. So Paul goes on in his letter to the Galatians in 6 and 7. He goes, look, I'm going to bring you back to that verse, pardon me, just to finish on this. He says, just as Abraham believed God and was counted in righteousness, as we've seen already in Galatians, we are made righteous, we are justified not by anything we've done, can do or need to do by what Jesus has done for us. So we were in, listen, we were in serious sin debt before God with no way of paying off even the interest on that debt. But here's the real beauty in the imputed righteousness that we get from Jesus. It's like this. Uh, many years ago when I applied for seminary, <clears throat> I never graduated from uh, university, uh, just had a few credits, a few courses, so I, I had to apply as a mature student. And trust me, at that time, I was hoping I was mature, but yes, I was, I was 50 when I went to seminary. Uh, which is uh, just, just a few years ago. And uh, what happened was is that I was given credit for life experience in the marketplace. I had a status conferred upon me and a value on that work that was not there previously. And so I'd really not taken any credits or hadn't taken any courses, but, but that status was imputed to me. As if I had it, I was now allowed to enter into a master's program. And so Paul makes it explicit that when God credits righteousness, he is conferring to you and I a legal position or status or standing. And so to have righteousness credited to people means that they are treated legally, like we've seen in the Scripture, as if. And I made this point a couple of weeks ago. We're not righteous in and of ourselves. There's none righteous. We are made righteous. It's as if we have never sinned. It's as if... We are as righteous as Jesus Christ. And now we need to live in it. That's amazing grace. That's amazing grace. One thing we need to remember by this, just a sideline for you, which helps us in the struggle that we have in this life, even though we have this standing, this position with God that is perfect, that is complete, that in His mind is fully righteous, we still live in these sinful bodies. We still live in this world. We still act unrighteously, do we not? I mean, look at the life of Abraham. He was counted as righteous. But at one point, they go into a town, and, and he's, he's afraid because Sarah is incredibly beautiful. She's a beautiful woman. And he says to her, i tell you what, here, here's what I want you to do. Why don't you tell people you're my sister? Right? You tell everybody you're my sister, and that way they won't kill me. Well, of course, that happens, and basically what he's saying is, Pharaoh's going to want you, and he's going to take you, in to, you know, and you're probably going to have to sleep with him, and, but will you do that for me? that's Abraham. It doesn't matter who you look at in the Old Testament, who God made righteous because of their faith in him alone, who counted to them as righteousness, they still had aspects of their personality and who they were, which really weren't up to par from time to time, but God forgave them. All of those things were forgiven. So finally, Paul concludes by, by saying this. Okay, based on this proof, it is then all of those, all of those, from the old testament and into the new testament who have been made righteous by faith alone who are abraham's sons and daughters. So again this would have blown their minds that they they were these these Jews who believed that naturally they're ethnically Jew, Jewish, that they had this right nobody else had it. And so they just couldn't understand this at first. It took a long time in the new testament church for this to sink in for them, but I think it does for a lot of people in our world today. We know that today we're not Christians because we're raised in a Christian home. It's not automatically transferred to us because we were raised in a Christian home. It's not because we were raised Catholic. I was taught that all the time. The Catholic Church, you can't leave the Catholic Church. Your salvation is in the Catholic Church. That's what I was raised and taught. It's not about wearing a crucifix. It's not even about coming to the Rock on Sunday or for any social, ethnic, racial, or family reasons. This does not make us Christian. This is not what saves us. I know you know that, but it has to be said. A true Christian, then, is the one who has been convicted of their sin, having seen the cross of Christ for what it is, his atoning death as the price paid for their forgiveness. And those who, by faith alone in Christ's work alone, place their trust in God, are saved, and are now sons and daughters of God and Abraham. We're his seed. Where are those people? Point number two. And we'll close with this. Blessings for all. I love this verse. Verse 8 says this. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Okay, so full stop on this. Have a look at this. Do you honestly see what he's just done? he has made the word Scripture a personal pronoun, right? He has turned it into a personal pronoun. Scripture also, we can see, did apparently two things here. It, it, it foresaw something God would do, and then it preached the gospel before God would do it. So obviously, let's ask the question, what could this it be? What could this it be, this Scripture be? And secondly, what scripture? I thought of this during this week, like, what scripture? Abraham didn't have any scripture. They didn't have Moses yet. There there was nothing written. He had no scripture to go to, to teach him these things. Abraham didn't have that. He didn't have it at all. So clearly we know this. That is the Holy Spirit who is the inspiration of all scripture. We know that. And that Jesus is the Logos, the very Word of God. And we also know that the Father, whom Scripture identifies as speaking to Abraham in Genesis 12, and therefore we conclude beautifully that what we all know to be true is this, that God himself is the one speaking here. God himself is the one speaking. The Trinity, actually, is speaking into this to Abraham, preaching the gospel, the full gospel, that which was yet to happen, something only God knows and can do. Amen? So this is who's doing this. And Jesus made that very clear, if you think about it, in John chapter 8. I was looking for some evidence of this. I mean, how, do, how does this all get tied together? H- how does this be brought together? H- how do we know for certain, I mean, as commentators or as pastors or preachers or people, you know, looking at the scripture, I can say that. I can say that's who was doing this. And we can go, well, that, that's, that's a great idea, Glenn, but can you back it up? The best place to go is the words of Jesus. In John chapter 8, verses 56 to 59, he said this. This was after, like, they're, they're, they're beginning to get a little skeptical of him. They're at the point where, like, we, we just need one excuse to kill him because he's, he's, he's going off the rails. He's claiming to be God. There's something, I mean, the people love him. We're concerned about him. And so he makes this very clear. He says this. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. It's Jesus speaking. So the Jews said to him, Putty, you're not even 50 years old. And you have seen Abraham? What they were looking for comes out of Christ's mouth next. (laughs) Because he says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Before Abraham was, I am. This is evidence clearly that Jesus is there. He's the one, he's the scripture, he's preaching the gospel to Abraham. But also what he had said at that point in time was, What? I am? You know what that is, right? That's when God was asked by Moses, like, like, just can you just tell me who am I speaking to? Who should I tell the people I'm speaking to? God's answer, I am. I am. So they picked up some stones to throw at him because Jesus hit, but Jesus hit himself and went out of the temple. It wasn't his time to die on the cross for us yet. But he declares it himself. He gives us this picture that he's there preaching the gospel back in the days of Abraham. So Abraham truly becomes a Christian before he ever becomes a Jew. I hope you see that today. I hope you see that today. Paul then concludes his point with this. He just wraps it back together just in four simple verses. He says, so then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. So look, for 430 years before the law existed, the gift that was going out to you and me was the gift of the gospel. Of faith in Jesus Christ, his imputed righteousness, his wrath-absorbing death, his victorious resurrection over sin, death, and the cross that would show us we have been bought with a price, and that price has been fully Fully paid, all our sins, past, present, and future, on Him paid. Let me leave you here today with one last example, because this just goes back to Abraham. That's that's awesome. It's amazing. I I want us to leave here today recognizing seriously that the gospel. Because sometimes as Christians we just see the gospel as the cross, that one thing that happened that time. That's pretty good just to see it at that point in time. But the gospel is for all time and has been for all time. Do you remember the Garden of Eden? Do you remember chapter 3? After Adam and Eve had sinned? Do you remember exactly what happened? They had sinned. They'd fallen away from God. God comes looking for them, and they're running away, and they're hiding, and they're covering themselves with fig leaves, right? Like, that's going to help. God comes to them, and in Genesis 3.15, he preaches the gospel to Adam and to Eve. How does he do that? He says, well, here's what's going to happen there is going to be an offspring of a woman. She's going to have a son. And he will crush the serpent's head. Right there in Genesis chapter 3, in the very beginning, when we've rebelled against God, he preaches the gospel right there that he's going to save us. And he's going to do that. And then the most remarkable thing happens, I don't know if you remember that, at the very end of that chapter. God sacrifices An animal. The first blood that is shed in the history of mankind happens in Genesis chapter 3 at the very end. Why? So that he can cover their sin. Give them the skin of an animal. It wasn't just to make them warm, guys. It was to cover them with the skin of an animal that had been shed. Listen, I hope you see this today when you leave here today. I hope you can go with this confidence. Jesus has fully covered you, fully covered you, past, present, and future. Pray with me, would you?